time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Good morning to you. I'm, I'm going to have to talk to Pastor Brady about his introduction, though. We, we taught him better uh, a, a process that we, we believe in and have, have tried to model at Gateway is we always want to under-promise and over-deliver. And so I hope you didn't postpone your surgery to be here. It may be a little difficult for me to over-deliver on that, uh, that huge promise, but I, I really am glad to be here. And I, I was, as, as David was talking and as I was just thinking about this time, I was caught by the, the next sign uh, behind me and caught by the, uh, the scripture there. And I think I, think I want to start there. You, you should have, in this session, I want to talk to you about raising sons and daughters. And uh, we're going to start just by talking about the philosophies of parenthood. But uh, I want to read that passage just so we don't get by what they're doing in turning the hearts of parents to children and where that scripture comes. Malachi 4, and I'm going to start in verse 5 and read 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I, I, was telling, uh, I was telling Jared or Daniel or somebody t- this morning, I think that what we're doing this morning and the opportunity to talk about parenting is one of the most critical and exciting, uh, important things that personally I can do with my life because I believe, even according to this scripture, it, it's so critical that the hearts of parents be turned to their children and the hearts of children be returned to their parents that God, God says if it doesn't happen, he'll come and strike the earth with a curse. So uh, this is hugely significant in, in what we're doing. And I pray that uh, this morning there'll be encouragement, there'll be practical insight and uh, some godly wisdom. And I know beyond anything I could say, the Holy Spirit will minister those things. If you came with a need today, a parenting need, and I don't specifically speak to it, I know that the Holy Spirit will. And so uh, that's, that's my prayer and my promise for all of us today. Uh, it amazes me that God chooses the foolishness of this kind of event to do his work in our heart and life, but he does. And I'm thankful that he does it in a great way. Well, before I get to the outline, let me just tell you about myself, and then I'll, I'll launch in. Not too great of, of details. My wife and I have been married for 38 years. We started dating in high school in our junior year in high school. So if you have junior high, I mean, uh, junior and senior high students today, it's a radical thought to think they could be dating the person they're going to marry. Maybe even a scary thought. But it was true for us. We, we dated uh, during our high school years, junior and senior year. We dated two years in college and got married the summer between our sophomore and junior year in college. And... Uh, Actually, my story, which I, don't, I won't go into, just to tell you, I got saved on our second date. And uh, so, I mean, my life has been radically impacted uh, through the partnership that God has, 
has established between my wife and I. We have four kids, uh, we, and we staggered them, not, not as if we had any control over it, but uh, they are staggered boy, girl, boy, girl. Uh, our oldest is 37, our youngest is 26, or well, our oldest will be 37 next month in April, and our youngest is 26, and uh, we have nine grandchildren. So we, uh, we have been extremely blessed as a part of God's work. Well, I want to talk to you about, and I want to lay some foundations. I'm going to talk to you about sons and daughters in this first session, but I want to lay a foundation of to me, what parenting is all about, both practically and from a biblical perspective. And I want to start by reading Psalm 127 and verse 3, because it gives the perspective, and maybe we need to reorient our perspective related to what God is saying. Uh, Here's what it says. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man, or how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. I know, having raised our kids, and I know now with nine grandchildren, sometimes the reality of this scripture when you're in the middle of parenting, isn't, it's hard to see. You know, our our kids at young ages can be frustrating, they can be trying, they can, they can push every limit of our faith and our prayer life. But I just want to remind you today, we're in a partnership. And it's not just a partnership with our spouse, we're in a partnership with God. Parenting, successful parenting can't be done without God's help. So, uh, but it is the greatest responsibility and the greatest joy that we have in life. Parenting is God's plan for supplying the next generation with the tools of character and faith and vision that are necessary for fruitful living. Uh, Parenting lays the foundation for a relationship with God. The way that we respond as parents forms the image of God in our children. And I know as as a pastor in impacting men and women in pastoral ministry, their concept of God is rooted in their concepts of the love that they received from their parents. How their parents responded is critical in this. So how you are responding, you are modeling the nature and character of God for your kids. It's an extremely important issue. Parenting is an investment that has the greatest rate of return over the longest period of time, more than any other investment of time and resources. I believe this so strongly. When, when I talk to business people, Business guys are, are used to thinking in terms of a return on their investment. They want to protect their assets, and they're looking for things that will, that will get them a return. And when I talk to them about parenting, I approach them from the standpoint of you're investing your time in generating revenue, income for yourself, so that you can invest it, hopefully, for maybe some kingdom purpose you can invest in the kingdom or for some personal benefit, which isn't wrong. You know, if you want a bigger house, you want a vacation home, or you want something like that, can I tell you the greatest investment that we can make of our time and resources is in the next generation, and that's us as parents investing in our kids. This is a critical thing. 
So there's three things that are a part of the kind of the powerful foundation principles of parenting that I just want to make sure as we launch off into talking about the difference between parenting sons and parenting daughters, I want to talk to you about the foundations that apply to both of them. And here's the first thing, and, and, and that is uh, the power of presence. In a busy life that we all live in, this generation is, we live in, an, in a constant pressure of time and demands on our life. And yet that cuts in contrast with the reality that what our kids need is us. They need us to be present. And sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, I'm working hard so I can pro- provide my kids with the things that I never had. Can I tell you, it, it won't matter if you, if you provide them the new car or the new clothes or the cell phone when they're you know, eight years old or the iPod or whatever it is, it won't matter. If the trade-off is, you, they don't get you, but they get this stuff. I was talking to a, a, actually a niece of mine. Her, her mom and dad, her, her, her mother's my sister, and her dad is an extremely successful guy. And he loves God, and they have a great family. But um, they, they take an annual vacation to Cabo's. And so I was talking to my niece. So how was your vacation? Do you, you like the vacation? She said, I love the vacation. And I said, well, do you love Cabos? And she said, mm, no. I said, well, what do you love about the vacation? And she said, it's because it's the one place that we go where my dad's cell phone won't work. <laughs> Presence, the uh, attention uh, to our kids is something that is the, it's a powerful foundation tool. Our kids want us. They want us to come to their ball games. They want us to come to their dance recitals. They want us to be involved in their school. And whatever it is that's distracting us from that, pulling us away from that, is a, an enemy to the effectiveness of our parenting. So uh, you, you might be uh, absent today. Maybe there's demands on your life that require you to be absent from these things. Can I tell you? Whatever you could do to reorient your life toward providing presence with your kids will be important. And let me just chase a rabbit here and say this. It's never too late. You you may have adult kids, kids that are grown, and you you look at this. You may have have kids that uh, uh, some of them are out of your home, and you go, I I made mistakes with those kids, and I I, I really would like to change. Can I tell you, it's never too late. I, I talk to adults and the, the impact, the ministry impact of issues on their life go back to their childhood. And so it, it's never too late. If you are absent, if you're absent, you could reorient things today and, and provide something that's really powerful. In, engaged parenting is parenting uh, that uh, takes interest in what is, is happening in their life, is involved. Ask questions. Talk to them. We've, we've been robbed of something in the last few generations that used to be really important, and that is we've been robbed of table time, of a meal together that centers around the conversation of what's going on in uh, our kids' lives. It, it may have to be at a restaurant someplace, but if you would say, I, we're going to have involvement, we're going to have a time when our family is all together, we're going to talk about the issues of life. In, engaged is a, a critical part of it. 
and, and it reflects the importance of spending time with your kids. And strategic parenting, in my view, can't take place if you're absent or you're disengaged. If you say, well, I, I really, I need to give some strategic direction to my kids. Uh, you won't earn the right to be a strategic parent if you're, if you're distracted or you're disengaged. So this is an important, presence is an important foundation. Here's the second thing, that understanding the power of influence. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not, be deceit, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. My kids, if, if you, you were able to interview them today, and, they, you, and you ask the question, what are some of your dad's little uh, uh, idioms? You know, idiosyncrasies, not idiosyncrasies, idioms, uh, statements that he told you uh, over your life. This is what my kids would say. Because this is a, a, a mantra of my own life. It's, some, it's something that I've patterned my own life in, and it's uh, something I reflected to my kids. And, and that is this. You are either an influence or you're being influenced. There's no, there's no middle ground. So when you play with your friends at elementary ages, when you're with your friends at events, when you're junior high and high school, you are either an influence or you're being an influence. And according to scripture, if you are being influenced in a negative way, bad company corrupts good morals. No matter how much I invest in you, the values of our home, the godly principles that I understand and try and live by, if I neglect the kind of people that you're hanging around and I just say, well, it just doesn't matter because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to input into you. The, the power of influence is a critical power in our kids' lives. And so we had some, we had some ground rules. If our kids came home and they said, hey, um, so-and-so's having a party. Can I go to the, it's going to be a party at their house on Friday night. Can I go to their party? My, my response was, where's the invitation? And, and I always got this. Dad, that's so old. They, they, don't, they don't give invitations anymore, you know. And I said, okay, well, if you're going to go, then I'm going to call the parents of the house where the party is, and I'm just going to talk to them. Well, it was amazing. If it wasn't a legitimate party, if the parents were going to be out of town and kids are all gathering to do things that kids shouldn't be doing, they didn't want me to call. I'd tip off the parents for what, what might be happening. But if it was legitimate, there was always a like, well, okay, just don't embarrass me. Okay, just don't embarrass me. The power of influence is critical. And here's the third thing, the power of persistence. You know, Scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And man, when I look back on my own life, I, it doesn't leave when you begin, when you come into adolescence. I did foolish, in fact, today, I still do foolish things. Hopefully, I'm, I'm limiting them somewhat. I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, this was before uh, voicemail and answering machines, so that's to tell you how, how long ago it was. Uh, uh, when, at that time, if you thought, if, if you tried to call somebody and didn't get them, and you thought, well, there's a problem, you could call the operator and ask the operator to verify the line. And uh, so I, I called a friend. I was wanting to get a hold of him. 
and this was before cell phones too, and it rang and rang and rang, and there was no answer, and I, I knew they were home. I mean, I, I just had this innate sense. They're, they've got to be there. You know, I know they're, I, they shouldn't be any place they ought to be home. So I called the operator. I said, operator, I need for you to verify a line for me. And uh, she said, okay, what's the number? And so I gave her the number and it did the same thing for her. It did for me. It rang and rang and rang. And she said, uh, sir, they don't appear to be home. And at that moment, I, re- I was so convinced of something else, I realized the foolishness of what I was doing. You, you know what I'm saying? I felt stupid to say that. No, no, they are home. Something's wrong with that. Tell me what's wrong with what. what? I backed out, you know, okay, thank you. I mean, I don't know. You ever been caught for speeding and the, the uh, police officer comes to the window and says, I need your insurance and your driver's license. And, and, and then he goes through the thing. I, I, I clocked you going so many miles an hour. Uh, is there an emergency? And then when you... When you register what comes out of your mouth, I got stopped one time for, for speeding and went through that. Police officer said that. And what had happened, I was, I was out on a stretch of road and the, my car seemed to be misfiring. And I was trying to figure out, what's the deal? And I thought to myself, maybe you just need to blow out the carbon a little bit. You know, tromp, tromp down on it and blow the carbon. And uh, so I did. And I got caught for speeding. And so I tell the officer, he says, is there an emergency? And I said, well, officer, you see, I, I was going and I felt a little hesitation. And I didn't quite know what it might be. And I thought maybe if I just blew out the carbon. And the look on the officer's face like, I've heard a lot of excuses before, pal. <laughs> Foolishness is bound up in the heart of our, uh, uh, our ch- children. And so it takes persistent responses, consistent responses to lay the foundation of work in our life. No, no, we don't do that. Well, I know you told me not to do it that way, but uh, this is different. No, it's not. Or what were you thinking? I don't know what I was thinking. Well, we're going to have to be persistent in order uh, to be able to do that. There's a principle that I believe is a part of our parenting. It's a principle that I call transference. We cannot transfer to our children what we do not have for ourselves. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the things that drives me to keep current, to keep in pursuit of my relationship with God. But it's practical things. It's, it's like this. How can I tell my kids, you need to have a quiet time if I don't have a quiet time? How can I tell them amidst a busy schedule of athletic practices and and school classes and activities with their friends. It, it, you, you need to find a time, a, a way to put God in your life. And if I, don't, if I don't find a time among the demands of my life, if I say to them, it's really part of serving God in a local church is a part of what we do. But everything else comes in front of that. You know, it's a nice weekend. We're, we're going to the mountains this weekend. Uh, you know, uh, we've been really busy. This has been a busy week. We're just going to stay home. We're going to watch it online. We'll listen to it later. How do we say to our kids, this is really important if we don't model it ourselves? It's, it's a principle of transference. 
It happens in the big and little things. My dad was a three-pack-a-day cigarette smoker growing up. And uh, my mom, and I have two sisters, during uh, growing up, we tried everything in the world to get my dad to quit smoking. One of the most radical things my mom did, she wanted my sisters and I one evening at the dinner table after we were done eating, and typically that was a time when my dad uh, lit up a cigarette, my mom gave each of us a pack of cigarettes to hold on our lap. And when my dad got his cigarette out to light up, she wanted all of us to light up with him. We said, Mom, you're going to kill us. No, we're not going to do that. Well, as a child, I had had childhood asthma. And and, uh, so I'm starting to go into my teen years, and my dad knows there's going to be influences on my life. And so he says, Tom, now you know I smoke, but I don't think you should. How many of you know that had little or no impact on my decision about smoking? It's a principle of transference. Uh, Our kids need to be prepared for their destiny and and uh, we need to create an awareness of God in every circumstance of their life. Um, we need to ask the questions. Well, when this situation happened in your life, what do you think God is doing, saying? What do you think God wants from you in this situation? We, we create an understanding of the destiny that God has on their life. You and I were created for a purpose. When we reflect that ourselves, and we say, you know what? I'm trying to fulfill God's purpose for my life. You know, I, I prayerfully considered when I made this move, when I changed this event, when we moved to this neighborhood, we did so with prayerful consideration because we believe it's a part of God's plan for our life. When our kids see that model in our life, then it gives us a platform to say to them, what is God doing? Do you think, now I'll give you an example. When our oldest boy was in junior high, eighth grade, as he was in his eighth grade year, our school system decided to go to the um, middle school, high school concept. So his ninth grade year was not going to be in his, what had been his junior high. He was going to go to high school. And all, he, we were on the, the line for two different high schools in our city. And the majority of his friends were going to another high school that he was going to be going to. And so he, he with pleadings, please, will you ask if I can transfer to this high school with my friends? These are my friends. These, these are the, the ones that I've grown up with. Will you please? And, and our response as loving parents was, yes, we'll, we'll make the application. But, but you do know that God controls the events of our life, right? If God wants you there, the doors will open for that if God has other plans for you, plans that we don't understand, then we're not going to force an issue against what might be something that God's doing in your life. Well, you can't introduce that concept to them at eighth grade if you haven't modeled it for them. If they haven't seen it in other decisions reflected between you and your spouse in your home, Destiny is a part of God's work in their life. And so we're preparing you for destiny. We're asking questions. We're giving you a God view of the world and and of your life. And then uh, our our own life. The way that we respond to them reflects the nature and the character of God. God's loving and he's compassionate and he's kind. He's gentle and he disciplines. We disciplined in our home for disobedience. 
not because you made me mad, not because you embarrassed me. If, if you understood what was expected and you didn't do what you knew to do, there was punishment involved. You know, in their early years up to their junior high, they got a spanking. And the, the purpose of the spanking, it was on the padded part of their rear. It wasn't abusive, but it was to inflict a memory, a painful memory that says, if you disobey, there will be a painful consequence. Why? Because we're preparing them for a relationship with God as adults and without a doubt, I don't even have to hear your stories. I know God is in the process of disciplining you today because he's disciplining me. So, and how, why does God discipline? He disciplines because we disobey him. And why, what's the motive behind that, that dis- discipline? His loving care. So, we disciplined and we, we represent the nature of God to our kids. I love you. I care for you. I'm, I believe in you. I'm for you. I'm going to be kind to you because that's the way God is and I'm reflecting his nature. Okay, so those are the foundations of what take place and maybe we'll have some time. I'll, I'll be glad to open it up for question and answers if there's something related to those foundations that you go, well, okay, explain this or tell me how you'd apply that. Those are the foundations. Now let me talk to you. I'm going to start with boys and let me talk to you about the whole issue of what it, what it is to raise boys and, and their difference. So I want to start by reading Titus 2 and verse 6. Uh, Paul wrote to his protege, and, and he said this, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things, to show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Here, here's what I know from my boys, but I think it's true of men. It's, it's the way God created the human male being. We're different than girls. We're different in our emotional makeup. You know, I don't think I have to do much to prove that. If studies have revealed, if you take young children, boys in, in one room and observe them in play, girls in another room observe them in play, their play is entirely different. Their vocal development is entirely different. Girls are much more expressive and and verbal in their words at younger ages than boys are. Boys make noises. They they just are completely different. And uh, so what we need to teach boys is how to express the testosterone that's a part of their life without being dominant without being uh, violent, with learning how to control themselves. And so here's what I found. Three challenges that we must, uh, must address uh, to help our, our sons. The first is the challenge of purpose. You know, the foundation that I was talking about, the foundation of, of destiny, you know, uh, we're transferring the idea of destiny. Well, there's a struggle. How do, you, how do I find what God wants for my life? How do I know this is what God has for me? You know, in my own life, 
this has been a, a part of the struggle of my relationship with God. I want to do what God wants me to do. How do I know what that is and how do I find that? So I'm trying to, to uncover the principles of that and then I'm trying to impart those things to my kids. And here's the number one thing I found. They need to be exposed to a variety of, of issues in order to find what tantalizes them, what they're gifted in, what, they, what, what God would have for them. So encourage them to do a variety of things. Don't take a perspective of maleness and say, well, real men don't play the piano. or You can't play the violin because that's girl stuff. Let, let them be exposed to a variety of things and then as they are exposed, identify what they're really good at. You have an athletic ability. You have, a, uh, you have such an organizational. When you're with your friends, you help everybody get in line. and you, There's a leadership gift on your life. Let me tell you one thing my dad did for me, and I have replicated with my kids. My dad, uh, my dad got saved in the later part of his life, but amazingly, I think, he replicated biblical principles of parenting. So he would say he, his instructional method was never in a classroom with a, a board. Okay, everybody in, in here, we're having a quiet time, you know, a family devotional tonight. It was never that. It was uh, a, an, a seizing of the moment to instruct or impart values. So it would happen like this. We'd be at the dinner table and my dad for what my sisters and I could never understand what triggered it. My dad would say, look at one of us, and we'd be in conversation about things of our day, things that were going on, and seemingly out of the blue, he'd look at, at me or my sisters and say, do you know I love your mom? And after a few times of this, and it was the same thing every time, it's like, yeah, do you know that she was here before you? Yeah. Do you know she's going to be here after you? Yeah. Then don't come between me and your mom. Now, kids have a natural bit toward manipulation, don't they? They know who to go to to get the thing that they want. And never did my dad say that when we were trying to manipulate he only enforced it when we were trying to manipulate. He taught it as a concept around a conversation. So my, uh, my dad, would, those are the kind of things my dad was saying. He, he said this to me often. He said, Tom, you, you're going to be a success at whatever you do. You, you, whatever you choose to do, you will succeed at. And... There's, you're intelligent, you are, you're athletic, you, you understand, you do relational things, whatever you do, you're going to succeed at. Now, let me, let me just tell you, I had a whole bunch of insecurity in my life. I didn't know if I'd succeed at anything. But whenever I tried something new, guess what played in the back of my mind? I'm going to succeed at whatever I do. Because my dad 
said I am. I, I, I may be struggling. I may, I may be in a, a slump of some kind if it's an athletic sport. I may not be getting the concept of this thing. It didn't matter. My dad would reinforce and say, look, look, I know you're having trouble. Let's, let's sit down. We're going to figure this out. We'll work through this. But I want you to understand, you're going to be a success at whatever you do. We need to, the challenge that we need to help our boys with is to understand there's, there's kingdoms to advance. There's purpose in life. There's, there's, there's something big that God has on your radar screen and it's worthy of the full investment of your life. Now, always in these things, it comes down to, if I were able to talk to you one-on-one today, I'd say, do you think that about your own life? Do you, do you think that God has a, a divine purpose for your life? Are you engaging in that? Do you believe that God is for you and not against you? Do you believe that God has thoughts and plans for your life? Because if you don't, how can you, how can you represent that to your kids? But if you do, and you're struggling to find out, you're, you're contending with God for the own, your, the own purpose of, of your life, then you can help your children discover their purpose in God as well. The, the second challenge is the challenge of authority. Um, in our society, and this may not be a, something that is different between guys and, and gals, it, it, it may be differently reflected, but let me say this related to guys. I think that, that boys are encouraged to be defiant. It's kind of manly. You know, don't you let anybody tell you what to do. You're your own man. And from the time I was in grade school and high school, I, I, I'll tell you, I was, in, I was in junior high school, and uh, it was the time when I was in junior high school, it was the transition from Elvis to the Beatles. It was the, it was the, the, the letterman, you know, the jackets with the flat top. Some of you are going, I, who are the lettermen? Google them, you'll find out. And, and the Beatles, who came in with long hair and represented something. So uh, when I was in junior high, I, I grew my hair long. Now, long is a definition, because long today might be shoulder length or middle of the back for, for some. My hair, when it was long, I could grab the back of my hair and pull it around and touch my earlobe. And it was long. So I go to school one day, and the, the principal calls me over. Now, I... I was not an academic problem. I was not a behavioral problem. I was a good student. I was a leader in my class. And the principal calls me over and says, Tom, your hair is too long. And you're going to have to go home until you get your hair cut. So I walked home that day. I, you know, I'd, I'd walked to school that morning. I, and within 30 minutes of leaving the house for school, I walked back into the, into the house. My mom was there. My dad had already gone to work. And my mom says, what are you doing home? And I said, I'm never going back to that school again. She said, what are you doing home? And I said, I got kicked out for my hair being too long. I'm never going back there again. She said, no, you're going to go back there. You know, and, and I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm, I, I, I don't have, I'm not going back there. So 
she said, you're going back there. We'll go get your haircut today, and you can get back in tomorrow. So my mom took me to get my haircut. And uh, when I sat in the barber's chair, I, I talked to her all the way there. I said, Mom, don't come into the barbershop. Please, please, please. Just, I'll go in. I'll, I'll take care of it. So she dropped me off. I went into the barbershop. I told the guy, I want the least amount off you can give me. He said, okay. And uh, so I came out. I was very satisfied. Didn't even look like I had a haircut. I went to school the next day, and the principal met me at the door, and he says, Tom, I thought I told you to get a haircut. I said, I did. He said, no, no, no. It doesn't meet dress code. You have to go home. Well, it was like, you know, Groundhog Day. I walked back into the house. I told my mom, I, this is it. I am never going back there. And my mom said, you'll have to talk to your dad. Now, I don't know how, how you guys feel, but I've, I observe parents who in situations like this, they tell their kids, they're not going to tell you what to do. They're not going to tell you how to live your life. They're not going to tell you what to dress, what, what you can dress, how, what you can wear and can't wear. We'll sue the school board. We'll remove the principal. My dad said, um, I'm going to take you to the barbershop. And my dad didn't wait out in the car. My dad went in and said, we need a haircut. And we need a good, and he told the guy exactly how to cut my hair. The next day, no problem, I got into school. What, what was he doing? He was, he, I, I don't know if my dad agreed with it or not. Probably, the reality is, he probably had those thoughts. They, they don't have the right. I, I, my argument to my dad was, dad, I get good grades. I'm a leader in the school. I'm not a behavioral problem. He has no right to do this to me. And my dad's response is, he does. He's the principal of the school. He has authority in your life. And we're going to get our hair cut. The most important concept that we can pass on to our kids is an understanding of authority. It will impact their work career. It'll impact their, their personal life. It'll, it'll, it'll impact their marriage. It'll impact every area of their life. And so while we want to teach them to, to stand strong, we want to teach them to be cor- courageous, we want to teach them to do great exploits, the way we teach them that is not to be independent or rebellious. That's the challenge. And I've got, I mean, with four kids in my own life, I could tell you, we could spend the rest of the time just talking about that and what it says. And as a pastor now for 28 years, I could tell you, I could tell you all kinds of stories about people who grew up in, encouraged to be out away from authority, to challenge every aspect of authority, to re, be rebellious at every point and how it impacted their life. And then I could tell you what being under authority, being submissive to authority, and the the concept of authority has aligned me under the purposes of God in a way that has brought blessings in my life that are unmeasurable. It's an important concept.
The third, third challenge for boys is the challenge of appetite. We've got to teach. James says this. Everyone is sins when they are enticed by lust. And when lust is conceived, it produces sin and sin produces death. There's a process, a pattern that takes place. Lust, my definition, is an appetite to a God-given appetite to fulfill that appetite in a non-God-approved way. Well, we have an appetite for food. We have an appetite for knowledge. We have an appetite for uh, power or influence. We have an appetite for sex. There's at least five or six appetites that God created in our life. And if we don't know or learn how to manage those, they have devastating impact in every area of our life. So we don't eat right. We're going to live an unhealthy life, maybe even a shortened life because of obesity or because of of, um, childhood, um, what's the, uh, diabetes, thank you. There's, it's every one of these areas. We can focus and say, I need to teach you how to manage the appetite for sex in your life. I need to teach you how to, how to respond when it comes to, uh, you know, how to, how to look at women and how to, when, when you feel these urges arising, well, how can we do that if we don't have it ourselves? So managing the, this appetite is a critical appetite. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, get, I really got to bring this down and I haven't even talked about girls yet. So let me, uh, let me quickly go through this. There's three ingredients that I believe are strategic for parenting. One is, is character. We have to monitor our kids' character, and I believe that character is developed. What we did with our, our kids, uh, we monitored attitudes as, as well as behavior. And I believe there's a pattern of this. Attitudes determine thoughts. Thoughts lead to actions. Actions result, form, form habits. They've done, been done a number of times. Habits shape character and character determines destiny. So a, a, a little thing. One day, I'm, uh, my son, third child, uh, second son, Tyler, uh, he'd been coming home complaining about authority, complaining about, uh, uh, about the principles and their what they were doing and they had no right and he complained about his coaches and he was just complaining and I said, hey, 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 T, what's going on in your life? Something's, he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you have an attitude and that attitude is going to result, it, we, we need to uncover what's motivating that attitude because it's going to result in behavior and that behavior is going to have a consequence. I didn't necessarily go through this whole pattern, but it's, it's part of it. I just brought it to the bottom line. He goes, oh, Dad, it's nothing. They're, they're just, I said, let me, let me just tell you, if you're being chafed by something, God's putting his finger on something in your life. Let me help you. Let me, let me, let me, let me process that with you. No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. I said, okay. So a couple of days later, I'm on my way home from work. And, you know, it's, it, it's 
the fall of the year, it's the time when by 5.30 or so, it's dark. And so I'm, I have my lights on. I'm about to pull into our neighborhood, and I look at the street across from where I would turn into our neighborhood, and there's a police car, you know, lights going, two cars in front of the police car, and my son's is the lead car. So rather than turn into my neighborhood, I just turn the other direction and, and pull in front of his car. I get out, and when I get out and walk up to, the, to his door, he goes. So the window's rolled down, and I just poke my head in the window. I say, hey, T, what's up? And about that time, the officer comes to the, to the window, and he said, you must be dad. And I said, I am, officer. Is there a problem? And he said, well, yeah, your, your son and the, uh, the young man in the car behind here were drag racing. And um, I pulled him over for, and he said how fast they were going. And I, I said, officer, carry on. And I looked at my son, and I said, I'll see you at home, T. It gave me the perfect opportunity to reinforce to him, you see, t- Tyler, what you, the attitude that you carry produces thoughts in your life. Thoughts will lead themselves to actions. Actions will produce habits. We've got to address these issues. You want to talk now? Can we talk about what, what's going on there? It, it's important. Uh, clear instruction. There's, Deuteronomy talks plainly about when we instruct. It, it's really just an attitude of seizing the moment. And then uh, one of the things we try to do is to celebrate milestones in our kids' lives. Milestones uh, are things that, uh, big things that we, we give personal attention to. Uh, we do it with affection. We're proud. We, we make a, a, a hoopla about it. Uh, and we give instruction and affirmation as a part of the process. What are some of those things? Um, when, they, some, when they came into puberty, uh, for the guys, something that called them into manhood. Some celebration that says, you know, you've been sitting at the kids' table, now come to the adult table. You, you've, been, you've been over with the boys. When the men do this, I'm calling you in, into manhood. We're going to celebrate this. It's going to be something special and specific. Uh, I know there's great material on this. If you haven't seen it, you, you can get it. But just thinking about, we're, I'm, we're intentional about celebrating these things in, in our our kids' lives, uh, leaving home when they graduate from high school, when there's a, a, a big celebration, we make a big deal. You're launching off into your adult life, and drinking age isn't going to be the celebration. We're going to celebrate. We're going to define the celebration for you. Uh, career, when they graduate from college or when they, they move into a career, maybe they go to a, a trade school or something like that, we're going to celebrate, hey, you got a job? Awesome. Way to go. And you're going to be a success in this. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Uh, and then, of course, marriage. We, we're going to invest in the process and the success of your marriage. All right. Now, let me, let me just talk to you just quickly about the differences between guys and gals. Some of these things, these very things I've talked about, they slide over and impact the way that we, we address girls. But it's just from a little different perspective. And, and so... Let me, let me talk about that. The challenges that we have with, with girls. These were the challenges that my wife and I had as we addressed our daughters. The challenge of what to pursue. My, my grandparents, Jan's grandparents, her mom, 
my mom and her were all stay-at-home moms. Even though they, they had, at least Jan, had uh, you know, high school, college. She didn't graduate from college, but had college experience. And there is such a pressure on girls in these days to say, if you go to college, you're just wasting your life to be at home and invest yourself in your home and in your kids. Well, what, how do we help them determine where do I, what do I pursue, Dad? Do I pursue being a homemaker and a mom and a wife? Do I pursue that singly? Do I singularly, not, out, not in tandem with a career? Should I, should I pursue a career if I do? How do I make all that work? I tell you, to leave them to determine that on their own is to leave them to destruction. We got to help them. We got to give them tools that help them guide guide them in that that process. Uh, the challenge of what values to uphold. This is a, a little, you know, it's it's kind of connected to the first one. But uh, let me tell you, um, values are changing. Here's what I did with my kids. I sat down one day, and and, and about the time they got into their teen years, and I'm thinking, man. What have Jan and I tried to impart to our kids? What, what have we sought to live in our own life that we could impart to them? And uh, so one morning in my quiet time, I, I just, I'm thinking that, and I write down five things, general things. I have sought to live my life to be the greatest influence for God and his kingdom that I could possibly be. I have sought to live my life in a way that will f- fulfill my marriage commitment and my family values for, the, for my whole life. I've sought to find God's purpose and plan for my life. I, so I'm, I'm writing these things down. I go home and say, honey, do you think this reflects what we've tried to live, our, the way we've tried to live our life in, in broad terms? Yep. Yep, she agreed. And I, then one by one with each of our kids, as they got old enough, they started moving through their teen years, I would say to them, here's, the, here's what your mom and I have have." lived before you and what we've sought to teach you. Do you want this for your life, yes or no? And uh, I, I, no pressure. I want you to be honest with me. And, and before you answer this question, I want you to know if you tell me yes, I, I'm telling you this because you now, as you come into this age, you, if you see something that doesn't, in my my life, in my behavior that doesn't match up to this, you call me on it. You ask me to explain it. And if you tell me you want to live by this, then I, if I see something that isn't this way for you, then I'm going to call you on it. Uh, so, and I don't want you to live, I don't want you to hide things from me. I don't want you to live in a way to please me and live something. I don't want to hear from somebody else that you, you, you really don't believe in these values, but you told me you, you do. One by one, through a process, each one of our kids said, I, I believe this. But without fail, they needed to be confronted on their values. Uh, Lord. So, uh, I could, I, there's so many examples. Okay, so our first value, the first value of our life is, and, and my statement to my kids, um, 
you're either an influence or you're going to be influenced. We're going to live our life to be the greatest influence for God and His kingdom we can. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I have vocational ministry, but because we are believers in Jesus Christ, and that's what believers in Jesus Christ do. So, my oldest son, I've got stories on each one of the kids. I'll just tell you this one, and then we'll, we'll break. Um, my oldest son, he, uh, he graduated from high school, and the, the summer be, before he went away to college, all four of my kids went to Baylor University. Before he went, to, went off to Baylor, uh, he was working at a golf course. And it was the city golf course, and he was in the pro shop uh, in, uh, in the golf course. And the, the city partnership, uh, golf partnership, was housed, was uh, held out at this golf course. And the, one of the sponsors, the primary sponsor, was the local beer distributor. So the, the last day of the tournament, he's, he's working all kinds of hours as part of the tournament. The last day of the tournament, he comes home with this inflatable beer bottle that was about this tall. And, and uh, it had been tea markers for the tournament. And so he walks into the house that, that night, about 9 o'clock, with this inflatable beer bottle. And he goes, he puts it down. My wife and I are in the living room. He puts it down and says, isn't this cool? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> he said, well, I, I've got, I'm going to go meet some friends. And he picks up the beer bottle and he says, I'm going to change my clothes and I'm going to be off. And so he takes the beer bottle up to his room. And Jan and I look at each other and go, how, how do we address this? And we, we, have, we taught our kids related to drinking. There's biblical parameters for drinking, one of which is you have to be of legal age. The second, second is uh, you don't do it for drunkenness or carousing. Uh, you do it uh, under control, and it, it's all laid on the foundation of your influence. We have chosen not to drink so that we could be the greatest influence for God in his kingdom. Each one of our kids understood that process, and so he walks home with the beer bottle. So the next night, he's at the golf course working, and we're at the dinner table, Jan and I and the three other kids, and the conversation at our dinner table is this cool beer bottle. It hasn't even been in our house 24 hours, and it's the subject of our conversations. It's influencing us. We're not influencing it. And I I knew what my my son was thinking. This is going to be a cool room decoration when I go down to Baylor. And so that night when he came home, uh, I followed him up to his bedroom when he went to change his clothes. And I just shut the door and I said, hey, I want to talk to you about your beer bottle. And he goes, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll get rid of it. And I said, no. (laughs) I said, I'm not here to ask you to get rid of it. He said, you're not? And I said, no, I want you to defend it. And he said, what? And I said, well, you know our values. You know, you know the values we've talked about that you said are your values. And he goes, yeah. And I said, our number one value is to be the greatest influence for God and his kingdom that we can. And I said, in a few months, you're going to be at Baylor, and uh, you're going to see all kinds of things and, and as a part of being in college. And people are going to form an opinion of you and your life based on the things that you associate with. So you take this really cool beer bottle and put it in your room, and they're going to think, oh, Todd, he's a really cool guy. Hey, Todd, let's go get a few. 
Is that the way you're going to live your life? Is, I want you to tell me, I want you to defend how this fits with that value. And now, here's what, I, here's what I've done with each one of my kids in situations like this. Some things change from generation to generation. The legality of it doesn't. But if this is different for your generation than it was mine, I can tell you this. If I were out having pizza with a pitcher full of beer or I were at a nice restaurant with wine, it's not that people won't get over it. But there would be a, a shadow cast that they'd have to overcome. So I'm just going to remove that from my life. That, that's my choice based on this. So I want you to defend it for your life. Tell, tell me about it. Well, about that time, our youngest daughter at that time was five, and I, I would pray with the kids at night before they went to bed. So she knocks on the door, pops her head in, and says, uh, Dad, I'm ready to pray. And I said, okay, I'll be there in a minute. And she goes to shut the door. And then just before she gets it shut, she pops her head back in and says, Todd, I love your beer bottle. <laughs> and pulls the door shut. And I look at him and I say, I rest my case. So I said, well, I'm going to go pray with her, but I want you to think about this and we'll talk later. We didn't talk later. He carried the beer bottle out and threw it away. Not because I told him he had to, not because I got on him for, I just asked him, you defend it. And then I made him think about what, his, what he's connecting his life with. That's a, a part of that process. We've got to be careful what values to uphold and then uh, the, we've got to contend for the the culture, the influence of culture uh, on our kids. For the daughters, uh, what, what do they focus on? Do they focus on their bodies, on their beauty, on their clothes, on, on their stuff, or do they focus on the internal qualities of their life? When I say they're beautiful, and I only say they're beautiful based on the clothes that they wear or the way that they present themselves, if I encourage them to be seductive, I'm setting a value for them that I don't want to set. So I've got to define for them what it really means to be a woman. All right? Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm 10 minutes over my time or maybe more than that. So let me, let me pause here just a minute, let you stretch. If you need to go to the bathroom, we'll take a break. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll share. What I want to talk to you in the second session about is uh, creating a, uh, a dynasty, a family dynasty. Uh, in, in your, your life, and I'll, I'll kind of ramp into that by finishing talking about girls, and then we'll go into that piece, all right? Uh, these challenges that our daughters face, there's no one, in, in my view, there was no one in my daughter's lives that could more effectively impact their view on these things than me and their mom, but uh, it's amazing the connection that uh, the dads have with their daughters. And so, men, I, I say to you, if you have daughters, uh, it's critically important to be engaged with your daughters uh, as a part of your influence in their life. Here's what a dad contributes to his daughter. Uh, a father defines womanhood for his daughter in these ways. Uh, by the way he treats and responds to his wife. The way that you uh, express your affection, the way that you communicate your support, the way that you honor your wife tells your daughter what she should expect from her husband. 
your attitudes toward women in general. Tell her something about the way that she should view herself. And I, I try and be careful not to stereotype women or to be demeaning of women or to put them in a category. I, I, even though I, I believe God defines roles for men and women, I don't think that those roles are restrictive. And I want my daughters to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. I want them to teach and to be prophetic. Uh, I, 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 want them, I want them to live the life of God in an abundant way and to reflect that. I, there's, I want them to arise to positions of leadership in God's kingdom and for His church. And I want to make sure that I don't in any way stifle that, their development by the way that I, the picture that I portray to them of what a woman is or should be. And, uh, and then we define womanhood for our daughter uh, by the way we express our affection. Now, I, I want to just talk about this just a minute because in talking to guys in particular about their daughters, some guys are hesitant because of the day in which we live when there has been such abuse of this. There's a, a, a wrongful way that affection is expressed and they just don't want to get close to that line so they withhold affection from their daughters and, and fathers. I want to tell you, that's the worst thing you can do for your daughters. I am openly, openly affectionate to my daughters. I'm, I'm careful. You know, my daughters sit on my lap my, my daughters give me hugs and I hug them. Never has it been inappropriate. Never has it been with an affection that only is intended and rightfully to be expressed to my wife. But it's ever bit intended to tell my daughters, you have a part of my heart fully and completely. And I love you with an an affectionate, demonstrative love. And I'll say this, both my daughters are married. They have great husbands today. And uh, still today, I have lunch with my daughters. Their husbands don't mind because I'm I'm not trying to take something from them or insert myself in an inappropriate way into their relationship. I'm maintaining a relationship with my daughter. And I'll tell you something that my youngest daughter, Lindsay, did that um, really honored me. I really uh, told me something about what had happened. You know, the, you know the movie Taken. Anybody see that movie? the The storyline is this: this dad who has been a CIA agent and and understands the dangers that are in the world and his his he and his wife because of their career divorced but he's tried to maintain an involvement with his daughter and that's been strained and his daughter wants to uh, wants to go to Europe and he says no because he knows of the dangers but through pressure he he agrees and uh, and she gets kidnapped and involved in the sex trade. My daughter and her husband went to this movie, and when the movie was over, she turned to her husband and said, my dad would so do that for me. I can tell you, I don't have any of those skills. 
I was involved in one fight when I was in high school. It, it wasn't pretty. But she's exactly right. I would move heaven and earth to protect her. How do, how do you express that? If you don't express it in affectionate, demonstrative, caring ways with your daughter. So, uh, moms, it's important that you express your affection to them. And sometimes I know that there's tension, especially as your daughters get older, there's tension. You know, they're trying to feel their way uh, with you, but affectionate is absolutely critical. So, three things that a dad gives his daughter. One is a definition of their identity, uh, God's perspective rather than society's perspective of their life, a, a model of manhood to embrace. I want them to measure their husband by what they saw in their dad. And I, I don't, I don't want to be their husband, but I want them to look for qualities in a man that they saw in me. And not because I'm anything, but because I tried to model the quality, the nature of God for them to emulate. Uh, I'll tell you a story here. My, uh, my oldest daughter, Lisa, when she was in college, her first year of college, she, she lived in Omaha and went to the University of Nebraska of Omaha, at Omaha, and after that year transferred to Baylor. And uh, while she was there, she started dating a guy that was, had already graduated from college, and we, we didn't think this guy was good for her. He was marginal in his commitment to Christ he, and in his church involvement. She seemed to be more of a spiritual leader than he was. And, and I just wasn't impressed. So one morning, I'm, I'm in my quiet time, and I was praying for Lisa. I, we pray for our kids regularly. and I was, I was praying for her and praying for God's work. And, and just like that, the Lord... You know how God does. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just an impression in my heart. But he broke into the, to the things that I was thinking about Lisa with this thought. He said, I, I, want you to, I, I want you to tell Lisa this. So got my attention. So I'm, I'm writing in my journal. And I, I said, a, a word for Lisa. Tell, and this is what I wrote. Tell Lisa that if she won't compromise, I'm preparing the husband of her dreams. And my first thought was, Lord, it's not this guy, is it? This, this guy can't be the guy that you're talking about. I, I want to take it a step further and say, and it's not this guy. So I don't know, maybe that later that day or the next day, within a couple of days, I was talking to Lisa on the phone and I said, hey, Lisa, I was praying for you and I feel like the Lord gave me a word for you. Now, let me just pause here a minute and say, this was not the first time I've said that to her. She has known from the time she was little. When, I, when, when she was a baby and my wife was nursing her, I, after she nursed, I would rock her. And I would hold her as I rocked and I would sing songs and I would pray over her and I would, I would pray what I believe God's destiny was for her. And at every stage as a little girl, I spoke those things into her life. And, and my point is, it's not too late if you've never done that and, you're, and you are seeking God. I want to encourage you, tell your daughter you're praying for her. If God gives you a word for her, speak it to her. Well, so she said, really, Dad? God, God spoke something about me to you? Yes. Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. Honey, this is what God said. 
And I said, I'm going to read it right out of my journal. God said, if you will not compromise, he's preparing the husband of your dreams. Now, I had all kinds of insertful thoughts. <laughs> but I said, do, 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 you know what, do you know what God's saying there, hon? She said, I do, Dad. Thank you. And I said, okay. We talked about other things, got off the phone, and I, within a month, she and this guy were no more. I never said to her, he's a jerk. He's not the kind of guy that you want. I don't approve of him. Get rid of him. I never said that. I wanted to, but I took those feelings and I pointed them toward God in prayer. And then I delivered a message that God gave me for her. She transferred to Baylor and over the next three years, she regularly, not every month, but a couple of times a year, she'd say, Dad, remind me again of the word that God spoke to you. Well, it was so critical to me that I had it in a journal because I could go and I could pick out a journal and I could say, if she were home, if she were with me, I could say, let me, let me just show you, honey. I turned to the page and I said, this is the day I was praying for you and this is what God said. Or I could, I could say, honey, this is what God said. And uh, on, on the day, I'll just finish the story here. So she comes into the, the Christmas time of her senior year and she, she, didn't, she wanted to come home. And uh, so we're debating, man, we've invested so much money. If you, if you come home, you finish your degree. But she just, it was in her heart. And I said, well, if this is what God wants, let's set some conditions and ask if he'll meet the conditions. And he did. So she transferred uh, home in the second semester of her senior year. Well, at Christmas time, uh, a group of the college kids were at our house uh, playing games. And I'm an early to bed person, my wife, and an early to rise person. My wife is a late to bed, late to rise person. So she was playing games with all the college kids. And uh, so they, they, they play a they get together playing a card game called Nerds. Anybody heard? heard? Oh. <laughs> so she's matched up with a guy that Lisa has been on a date with and kind of has a little bit of interest in. And uh, so they're playing Nerds, she and this young man. And the Lord speaks to my wife and said, this is the guy I've been preparing for your daughter. Okay. So that's like on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Sunday, I, she forgets to tell me. <laughs> Sunday morning, I'm on the stage, and I observe Lisa walk in with this guy, and the Lord says to me, see that, that young man with your daughter? And I, I said, yes. He said, that's the guy I've been preparing for your daughter. So after the service, I, I tell Jan, I said, Jan, you won't believe what God spoke to me today. She said, what? And I said, you know the guy that was with Lisa? She goes, yeah. And I, I had no idea she played nerds. I had no idea God's. I said, when they walked in together, the Lord said to me, that's the guy that he's been preparing for her. And Jan goes, no way. And I went, yes way. And she said, no way. I said, what do you mean no way? What, what? 
And she said, we, we were, when we were playing games that night with the college kids, I was matched up with him. And God said to me, this is the guy. And I said, what? You're not telling me this? She said, well, I forgot. And I went, how could you forget that? We never told Lisa. This was something that God told us so that we could prepare. This is the fulfillment of the word that God gave you. And so the dating relationship developed. They had some rocky points. They worked through. And one day Lisa comes to me and says, "Uh, Dad, uh, Braxton wants to talk to you. I went, okay. And uh, so we met. And he tells me how much he loves my daughter and how much he, he's just been caught by her internal and her external beauty and everything that a dad wants to hear. I, and, he, and then he says, and I love her and I would like to marry her if you'll give me your permission. And I said, I got a story to tell you, buddy. And I told him about the word that God had given me for Lisa. And I said, I told him about what God spoke to me and God spoke to my wife. And I said, you are the man that God has prepared for my daughter. And I am proud. I'm glad to say, welcome to our family, son. My point in this is I defined something for my daughter that took years to unfold. And I didn't manipulate it. I, I sought to allow God to unfold it. And he did. And now... They've been married, uh, I think they're 12 12 years. They just celebrated their 12th anniversary. They have three kids. And regularly at family gatherings, when we're telling the stories of our family, we talk about the word that God gave when Lisa was in college. Her kids now are hearing that word. I remind them because I know marriage is hard. We've, we've celebrated 38 years. I mean, it, it takes work to have a good marriage. It takes a, a standing in faith. And I want to declare over my daughter and son-in-law, God ordained your marriage. You guys didn't. You didn't pick this. God prepared you for her. And I, I just want a unique, I want to say how unique I think you are in the, the, being the man that my daughter needs. I still reinforce that word over her life and over their life today. It, it's critically important. Okay, here's, I'm going to finish uh, this last piece. Uh, what a dad contributes to his daughter, uh, you know, okay. Uh, we talked about that. Um, I, I wrote the, I, I wrote out of Proverbs 31. There's been a lot of teaching on the Proverbs 31 wife and so on. These are the qualities that I sought to help develop in my daughters. So I'm not going to go over them, but I, I'm, going to, I'm going to finish by, by saying this. Um, maybe you're familiar with this passage. First Peter chapter 3 says this. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe the chaste or loving and respectful behavior. Your adornment. Catch this now. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. And I I love the way it says, not merely. It doesn't say it can't be. It doesn't say there's anything wrong with wearing makeup and being beautiful and trying to present yourself in in a way. But that's not it. That's not the end. 
It's not merely that. It's the internal qualities, it says. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. I'm, I'm working to take these qualities as a dad and my wife, uh, from her perspective as a mom, and, and reinforce and, and reorder these qualities that are defined as a part of a godly woman Solomon described in Proverbs 31. Well, how, does, how do these things unfold? Let me, let me just tell you another, another story. I, when, when Lindsay, she's my, my youngest daughter, when she was in her senior year of high school, uh, she was in a private Christian school, and she was, you know, as a private sc- Christian school, I mean, there was, I think there were 70 kids in her graduating class, and there were a total of like 300 kids in the, in the high school. And uh, so volleyball season is about to end, and basketball season is about to begin, and Lindsay is a very good athlete. But she begins emoting to her mom that she doesn't want to play basketball. She's, she's tired. It's been a long volleyball season. She's been, a very, she's been an outstanding volleyball player. In fact, I thought maybe she was going to get some volleyball scholarships and may have if she really pursued it. But she just was tired. She didn't want to do it anymore. So Jan began to say to me, Lindsay doesn't want to play basketball. And I went, what? She's, she's a great athlete. Jan, she's tired. She's got senioritis. She's... she's She's going to come home and laze around. You know, no, 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 no. Well, she and her mom kept talking, and Jan kept saying to me, Tom, this is, I mean, this is really, it's not in her heart to play. We always had a rule with our kids. If you start something, you're going to finish it. So if you start basketball, you're not going to quit in the middle of the season. You're going to finish basketball. And by you know, because it didn't go away, I began talking with Lindsay and ca- trying to cast vision. Honey, you are a great athlete. And man, I mean, the, the team needs you to be a part of this. And, uh, I, you know, I could prop her up. I could, in, in, when I cast this vision, uh, I could kind of get her to the place of saying, oh, okay, Dad, okay, yeah, okay, okay. I'll, yeah, I guess I'll play basketball. But then she'd get away from it and she'd talk to her mom and it's like, ah, but Mom, I don't want to play. I'm tired. And, and so uh, I said in one of our final conversations, I said, okay, look, if you don't want to play basketball, then um, I, I want you to get a job. You're not going to be lazy and, and I, I, you're, you're going to get bored, honey. I, I, want you to, I want you to do something with your life. She said, okay, I'll get a job. I'll get a job. And I said, well, then I want you to go in and co- talk to Coach Parker, the basketball coach and tell him that you're not going to play. I thought, this is going to cinch the deal. She's not going to go in and tell the co- Coach Parker. And uh, so she said, okay. So she goes in and talks to Coach Parker, and Coach Parker says, Lindsay, I, I know you're tired, but you're such a great athlete. We could really use you. How about this? How about if you come and work out a few days with the basketball team, play preseason basketball with us, the, the tournaments, and then at the end of the, the preseason tournaments, if you don't want to play, you can quit. So she comes back to me and says, Dad, Coach Parker said I could try this, see how I feel about it, and at the end of the preseason, if I don't want to, I can quit. And I said, well, if Coach Parker said that, 
That's, that's the deal between you and him. I'm okay with that. So she went into the preseason, played in preseason tournament. Uh, she was the, they played three games. She was the high point scorer in all three games. She was the most valuable player in the tournament. So I think, is there it? God is in it. Do we need any other indication? God, the anointing of God is on your life. I mean, But it comes now, it's, it's the Monday morning after the preseason tournament. She's on her way to school. I happen to be out of town, Jan with me, and she's got to tell what her decision is. So I'm talking to her on the phone on her way to school. And I said, well, honey, man, I heard such great things. I mean, you were the MVP, way to go, and high point score in three games. Man. And she said, yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, well, what are you going to tell Coach Parker? And she didn't want to disappoint me. And I could tell she didn't want to disappoint me. So one more time, I cast the vision. Honey, this is just the proof of how great, you know, God, this is something I think, you know, you're with your friends. You will, this will there's potential of memory. And uh, I just knew that she was, she said, yeah, yeah. Okay, Dad, I guess I'll, I'll tell him I'll play. And, I, and, she, and we talked a little bit more, and I said, and she was in this uneasy place, and I said, Lindsay, would it help you if I made this decision for you? And there was a long silence and big breath, and she goes, Okay, Dad, yeah. She thought, my decision because of what I said, how I tried to convince her would be that she ought to play. And uh, I said, I want you to go in and tell Coach Parker that I told you to quit. And she said, what? Dad, what did you say? And I said, I want you to go in and tell Coach Parker that I want you to quit. And she goes, Dad, why are you saying that? I know you don't, I don't, I know, I know you don't agree with that. That's not what you've told me. And I said, honey, I have tried every way I can to tell you I think you ought to do this. And, and here's the deal. It's not in your heart. It's, it's just not there. And, and so I want you to tell Coach Parker that, that you and I have processed this together and I'm in full support of the decision that you've made today. I want you to tell him that you're going to quit. Okay, Dad, okay. Now, she didn't see me, but on the other end, tears are just streaming down my eyes. I'm going... What is up? I realized I had more invested in her playing basketball than she did. It was something in me, this trying to convince her of what was good for her. And, and I'll just say to you, I, I find this a lot with parents. We want things for our kids sometimes that they don't want for themselves, and we push them into things that aren't in their heart, and rather than allowing God to be at work and do something in their life. Well, here's the end of the story. So I think, okay, what's going to happen is she's going to go in and resign, and then we're gonna, she'll have a little time of rest, and then she's going to look for a job. And we'll start thinking about college. 
So she goes in to resign, and Coach Parker says, Lindsay, I, I want you to tell the team that you're resigning, that you're, you're quitting. <laughs> so that afternoon, she goes to practice, and she tells the team that she, she's quitting. Her best friend is also a senior and playing on the team, and her best friend was furious. In fact, didn't talk to her. Didn't talk to her for three days. We're still out of town. And I, I talked to Lindsay, and I said, well, how did it go, Lindsay? And she said, well, Hillary won't talk to me. And I said, she won't talk to you? And, what? Why? And she said, well, she feels I let her down. You know, she played volleyball because I encouraged her to play volleyball. She loves basketball, but now I won't play basketball for her. Uh, she's just mad at me, Dad. And I said, Lindsay, it'll be okay. It, it'll be okay. You, uh, you just hang on. He said, I, in fact, I tell you what. I'm going to be home tomorrow. Why don't you call Hillary and see if she will meet you to talk about this? And she said, okay. So, the, so she did. Hillary agreed to, you know, talk through the issues. So they agreed to meet on the, the morning that I was flying back into town. So I, I, I fly into town. I, I go right from there to a lunch meeting. And so I'm just leaving my lunch meeting and uh, I get a call, and it's from Lindsay. And she says, Dad, something's a matter with Hillary. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, we met, and we talked, and it was a great conversation, and, and we, we, we resolved everything, and we stood up to hug, and she collapsed in my arms. And she's laying here on the floor right now, and she's just barely breathing. And I said, did you call 911? She said, yeah, they're on their way. And I said, okay, I'll be right there. And so I drove to the house, and when I get there, the medics are there from the, the emergency, and they are paddling her, you know, defibrillating her. And, I mean, and so I hug Lindsay, and Lindsay doesn't know exactly what to do. Well, they, they get her heart started, you know, and stabilized, and they take her to the hospital. And we find out that she has a heart condition that was, until that point, undiagnosed called long, long QT syndrome. And that morning, because they didn't, she didn't have class that morning, that's why Lindsay and her set up to meet that morning. She would have been at home, her parents both working, uh, resting, waiting for basketball that afternoon. But instead, she came over to meet with Lindsay to resolve the conflict between the two of them. And Lindsay was there to call 911. The, the doctors at the hospital said, if you wouldn't have been there, she would be dead. If this wouldn't have happened, she would be dead. Well, Hillary, after that, couldn't play basketball the rest of the season. And I, I look back on that and I think, if I would have shoved her into a thing that wasn't in her heart without considering what God may be doing, I don't know what all God's doing. I had no idea that this issue was going to be an issue. It was something in my daughter's heart that I'm just saying, okay, let's figure out what God's doing. Okay, well, obviously it's not this, you know. So it set up something that, that God used in a spectacularly profound way. And I, I, think, of, I think of this and I say, you know, our, our parenting, we're a representative of God. We're, we're trying to influence our sons and our daughters to embrace godliness for their own life and, and to 
find his purpose and destiny for them. And it, it's a process. It's a struggle. It has, it's been a struggle in our own life. But we look back, and now today, Hillary and, and Lindsay, they're still friends. <laughs> they, uh, Hillary was the, the, uh, one of the maid, maids of honor in, in Lindsay's wedding a couple years ago. And to see the impact of what has happened, I say, wow, Lord, thank you for the investment that you make in defining what a, what a daughter, what a woman should be as we work with our daughters and what a son should be as we work with our sons. Okay, now I, I want to I bring this to a close just to say, and I, I want to take a minute before we move on to this other piece, and I want to I ask you just to allow God to do something in your heart for just a minute. I don't know what the Holy Spirit might have been saying to you. Maybe, maybe it's something, maybe you've been pushing your son or your daughter in, in an area that without really giving thought. Maybe you have not modeled something of godliness in your own life, but you're, you're asking them to do it. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with some aspect of, of defiance or rebellion in your kids, and what you really need is not to establish some more rules in their life. What you need to do is, is reflect something that you've tried to live in your life and, and call them to a higher place. I don't know what it is. But I just want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to maybe impart something right now to you. So let me, let me ask you, if you would, just bow your heads. And I'm going to pray that God will speak to you and work with you and this will start something or confirm something or do something in a great way in, in your life. And I'm, I'm simply asking you to uh, say yes to God. You don't have to have the answers today. But I can tell you this, if you'll say yes, he will respond in a great way in your life. Lord, I, I pray for every, every parent, every couple, every family, every son and daughter that's represented in this room today. And I ask you, to do something spectacular. Reveal yourself, God, in, in such an awesome way that whatever need is represented today. For, for children that are wayward, Lord, we just ask you to call them back. Turn their heart back to their parents and back to their home. Turn them back to the things that have been invested in their life where the enemy has sought to accuse and to say to these parents, they've not done a good job. Lord, would you just remove that accusation today and re reaffirm a commitment to do what is godly and right, to, to partner with you to represent heaven's values in their family. And then, God, I, I pray that by saying yes today, that a, a new wave of the Holy Spirit's work and revelation will be infused into these families. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in the remaining time that I have with you, I want to talk to you about creating a dynasty. Now, uh, they handed out some outlines, and there are a few more. If you don't have an outline of this, if you'll raise your hand, I think they'll, they'll bring them to you to get them if you, if you need it. This... If I could give you a, uh, a goal of this teaching, this teaching is to inspire something in us, it's to remind us of something that I think is bigger than 
your immediate family. And, and here's where I started with this idea. I started with this thought one day that the goal of my life, you know, I, now that my kids are getting married and now that we've got grandkids, our oldest grandchild is 11, our youngest is about six months old. And I'm thinking, you know, and I'm watching my kids take the things, you know, I took the things that, that Jan's dad mentored into my life, that my dad input into my life, that my grandfather put into my dad's life. I, I sought to infuse those into my kid's life, and, and now I'm watching my kids take what I put in their life and infuse it into their life, and it's just a, it's a, it's a wonder to behold. And, and so I started thinking about this and I thought, you know, my goal is to create a dynasty of godly commitment and service and blessing in everything that I'm involved in, in everything that I know beginning in my family. Now, if you, if you haven't ever thought about this, let me give you a reference point. Maybe for those of you that love athletics, you know, I grew up with the Green Bay Packers with, with Paul Horning, with, with Vince Lombardi, with, uh, with Bart Starr. Those, those were the, with Ray Nitschke. With, these were the, the heroes of my life and the, the, the dynasty that the Packers had in, in the 60s that were a part of that. But the same with the New York Yankees or with the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan was there or with the Nebraska Cornhuskers since I grew up in Nebraska. Uh, when, when Johnny Rogers and, and uh, Bob Devaney and, and uh, all, I think everybody, whether, whether you look at something that's athletic or whether you look at a business, everybody wants to be a part of something that has lasting effect greater than their current, their, their generation. I certainly do. And it's one of the things that's motivated me in vocational ministry. I want to build something that's eternal. I want to build something that's eternal. I want to invest my life in things that really matter. And that begins in, in my family. So here, here's the way the dictionary defines destiny, uh, a dynasty. It's a, a series of members of a family or a group who are distinguished for their successes, their wealth, etc. It's a family or a group that maintains power for several generations. So we think historically, well, we talk about the Ming dynasty. It's, they're talking about a family. They're talking about a, an, an influence that spanned generations. And I started thinking in this, in, in this context... Is it possible to create a godly family dynasty? Is it possible to create great children uh, that are, are godly in their, in, in their perspective? That they're not just great Americans. They're not just morally contributors to society. They're not apple pie. They're not just that. They are godly in their perspective and their influence. Is it possible that family health uh, could be generationally connected and the fruitfulness of families could transfer multi-generationally. I started looking at the Bible and I think, well, man, when, when God began to identify himself to the children of Israel, he said to Moses, I, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God thinks not in the now, not in the next 15 years. He thinks in an eternal perspective. He's thinking multi-generationally. And so the, the, the things that we do, 
He is inputting things into our life and through our life that are intended not to just have impact and blessing in our life today or in, in next week or next year. Multi-generationally. Because we're the, the image of, of God, we, we're his representative on earth, he uses us to, to provide the, the picture, the framework for this work uh, to take place. And here's the passage that I think best portrays this whole multi-generational uh, thing. It's Exodus 20 and verse 4. You, you know, this is a part of the, the commandments that were being described. And he talks about the, the commandment that you shall not have another God before you. And this is the explanation. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands. Now, if you look at the wording of that phrase, it doesn't mean just a, a, a group of people that are thousands in number. It, it's, the inference is to a thousand generations. He was saying he visits his wrath on the ungodliness to the third and fourth generation, but for those who love him, desire to serve him, he, he blesses. He carries the impact of that out to a thousand generations. Wow. I started thinking, okay, God, I'm in. I want, I want a dynasty. I want to build a multi-generational influence. So here's the first part of this. Dynasty starts with one. We've talked a lot about this, so I'm, I'm just going to say it begins with us. It begins with you and me. It begins with us today. If, if you look back and you say, you know, I, I was raised in a great home, can I just pause a minute there and say, I have sometimes, but rarely, have I talked to people who say, my home was terrible. They're, it's getting a little more common in, in, in these days. But I mean, I, it, it always amazed me when I, I would be talking to somebody and they say, oh yeah, I grew up in a great home. Yeah, uh, my, 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 my dad was never there. My mom was involved in this. When my, my parents beat me on a regular basis, you know, my brother was, a, was an ax murderer, but we had a normal family. It's, it's like, no, you didn't. But, but what we grew up with, we tend to think as normal. And so I, I just want to say, if you, if you were honest enough today to say, I didn't have a godly heritage. I never had anybody tell me that the Bible was, was true and active and alive and that, you know, God had a purpose and a plan for my life. Nobody ever told me that. I didn't learn that until I got saved. And here's how I got saved. And now I'm starting to hear that from Pastor Brady. And I'm starting to hear that in small groups and with people that I'm involved in. Okay, don't be discouraged. Do you know that the dynasty can begin with you? It's, it doesn't matter. You can change everything. You can change everything and, and reverse what has been a, a, a tidal wave maybe of bad things in your life. You can reverse it, and it'll be better in your generation. It'll be greater in the next generation. It'll be off the charts in the third generation. Why? Because God blesses to a thousand generation, and it begins to build a momentum and a synergy. I can just tell you now, I'm looking at my, my kids, and the, the, the things that God 
is doing in them and for them are way ahead of where, the, where it was for Jan and I. And I'm, I'm celebrating. I'm going, yeah, go, go. When, when you're 58, I can't imagine what your, the impact and the influence of your life is going to be. It's going to be awesome because it's building on now four generations of things, of blessings and truth and impact. And so I'm just saying, I don't know where you are today, but can can I tell you, if you've never had this, what I'm talking to you about today can start today. You say... I've, I've been a terrible husband. I've been distracted with my business. I, I just don't, I've never, never understood any of the stuff you're talking about today. Okay. I don't know if they've got a tape, but take the outline. If they don't have the tape, if they've got a tape, get the tape and listen to it over and over and over again and begin to implement, let God begin to water in these seeds so that you will be to your kids what God wants you to be in an influence of a parent and your life is going to change. And as a part of your life changing, your kid's life is going to change. And your grandkids' lives are going to change. And your great-grandkids, because of what you do today. It begins with one. Here's the second thing. A dynasty doesn't happen by accident. Again, you know, I think the practical always precedes the spiritual. So I look back to these dynasties and I say, well, I'll tell you what. The, the Green Bay Packers didn't win the first two Super Bowls or didn't, didn't have, the, the Bulls didn't win four NBA championships just by accident. It was by a diligent, regimented effort that took place. And so here's some scriptures that fall along this. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That promise is a promise that we, we as parents stand on every day. I don't, I, you know, if I don't, it doesn't matter if you're going to be defiant of me. If you are not going to do what I say, I'm going to win. Because I'm going to train you to do what is right. That begins when, when they refuse the, the Gerber's baby food that you're trying to put in their mouth. And it carries through to the, to the day that they, you know, even today. I, my role has changed with my kids, but not my influence. I, parenting is a lifetime. I, I continue. I, I, uh, I, I'll tell you something that happened this past week. Well, our family, three of our kids live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we regularly get together. So we got together for dinner this past week, and uh, Lisa, one of her boys, was uh, this restaurant that we went to has these uh, machines that you put a quarter in and, you know, you can ride the chariot or ride the horse or uh, that kind of stuff. And her middle boy wanted a quarter to ride the chariot. And so he came out and they've had a little bit of a problem with him being overly aggressive. And so his younger brother was on a, on a, one of the, the rides, dad had put the quarter in and, and, the middle one, his name is Christian. Christian wanted on that ride, so he shoved his brother off the ride to get on. So his dad puts him in a timeout and says, you have to go sit over there, and you're not going to ride this. Well, he was, I mean, making a scene. It was outside this restaurant. And I came out, and I go, Christian, what's up? And, and Braxton, Braxton says, Dad, Dad, it's okay. We, we, we got him in a timeout. 
And so I said to Braxton, well, do you mind if I talk to him? And he goes, have at it. You know, I've been talking to him. I'm not sure he gets it. Have, have at it. So I pick him up. I carry him, carry him off to the side. And I said, Christian, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> you know. And I said, well, Christian, I, your, your daddy, did you hit your brother? I don't know. I said, Christian, you're going to have to sit in a timeout until you can figure out what's up. We, we, you need to be careful about what you're doing here. And just the way kids are, that fast he goes, can I have a mint? He's sobbing, crying, you know, you know, Papa, can I have a mint? And I said, can you tell me what you did wrong while you're in timeout? No. And I said, I'm not going to give you a mint until you can tell me what you did wrong. I pushed my brother. Well, so you do know what's wrong. You so I pulled a mint out of my pocket and I gave it to him and I said, Christian, I'm going to pray with you and I want to tell you, here's what I think you should do. I want you to go over and tell your dad that you're sorry that you pushed your brother and, and ask him to forgive you. The Christian's four years old. So I gave him the mint. I prayed for him. Lord, would you just be with Christian? And would you help him to understand that he can't hit people? And, and, and would you help him to learn how to control the, the awesome personality and the, the passion that you put in, your, in his life? Would you, would you just help him learn how to do that? Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I've got him, I'm holding him in my arms. I'm, I'm doing this. And I said, hey, can I have a kiss? He gives me a kiss. He plops down, walks over to his dad. And I see him say, Dad, I'm sorry. What did I just do? I just influenced the next generation. I, I'm not the dad. I, I can't insert myself. Hey, if, if you're wanting to deal with this, I'll back out. You say, have at it. I'm going to come and reinforce what you're trying to do with this boy. Why? Because it matters. And because I'm, I'm creating a dynasty here. And there's a dynasty that is involved in training and, and I, I, I want to help. I'm, I'm, I'm a support. It, you train up a child in the way that they should go. And here's, I've referred to this in the first one, Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The reason that we discipline is to remove foolishness out of their life. So here, here's the reality. Training is a process with preparation as its intended outcome. You know, it's not for our convenience. We train, we train in a process, and training isn't convenient. Training is work. Training, it, it involves work for the coach, and it involves work for the, the individual. When we are mentoring, when we're coaching, I don't care where it is, it takes a process and it takes work. So, with training, we are proactively prepared and instructed. Without training, we are reactive, panicky, and unstable in change. With training, we are developed and defined in skill and service. Without training, we're left to self-develop. With training comes focus and purpose. Without training, there's a lack of restraint. With training, we produce our fullest results. Without training, we're not prepared. 
So Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Part of what we're doing is we're, we're bringing them into a training. We're teaching them how to, how to control the different areas of their life. It, it, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I, I hope by now I don't have to say this. You can't teach your kids how to discipline themselves if you're not disciplining yourself. It's, it's the power of transference. So, so what are we doing? How are we contending? And, and by the way, I'm, I'm not saying... This is rocket science. I'm not raising this to a whole new level. Listen, if you've never read the Bible, how about reading the Bible today? And, and if you read the Bible yourself and you learn how to fit that in, you'll be able to impart it to somebody else. It's a part of the process. Uh, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Maybe it's because we're in the new year. Maybe it's because there's a few more pounds on, on our, you know, in our life. But... I mean, I'm talking to myself and friends, and we're talking P90X, and we're talking about how, how do we control what we're eating. We're talking about physical discipline for the, for the benefit of looking better and feeling better. But how often do we talk about godly discipline? So what are you doing to insert godly discipline into your life? Physical discipline, bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds a promise for this life and also for the life to come. We, we can't, we're in a training process. We can't build the dynasty if we're not willing to enter into the training. Effective physical training imparts a, a four, it involves a four-part process and so does spiritual training, conditioning. The reason that we, we struggle with our kids, God creates circumstances. This is why we have to have involvement with our kids. God creates circumstances in our life that become tests and they test the endurance and the training of our life. And so uh, we've been talking about being honest and then a, a test pops up that says, well, in this situation, will you be honest? Now, I don't know about you, but I regularly have these, these things in my life. And so when they crop up in my kids and in my grandkids, I go, oh, I know what that is. This is an opportunity for you. We're, you know, when I played athletics, I, I used to feel like uh, I don't want to, I want to play teams that are not as good as we are so we can win because the goal is to win. But if you talk to any good coach, what a good coach wants to do is play a team that evaluates where they are in the process of their development. Well, I can just tell you this. God constructs tests that come into our life not so that we can win, but so that we can have an evaluation of where we are in our training process. Now, they, they cause tension, they cause anxiety. I'll give you an example from a, a, a situation in my life from a way back. Before I came into ministry, I was in business. And I was actually in my dad's business. I graduated from college with a degree in accounting and I went to work for my dad who, with some partners, owned a wholesale paper distribution company with warehouse locations from, from Montana to Texas. So uh, when I went to work for my dad, I was transferred and that's actually how I got to Texas. Well, I was in Oklahoma City. I was in our, our merchandising side. I was on the purchasing 
It was responsible to purchase product that we sold in our Southwest division. And we, as a part of that, we had the state contract for the state of Oklahoma to, uh, with some paper mills to provide paper for the state of Oklahoma. It was on special pricing, and whenever we entered a order at the mill that was going to go to the state, we had to declare this is state contract pricing and, uh, and so on. Well, one day, I'm, I'm in my, at my desk. My dad's partner, my boss, came by my desk, and he says, hey, I want you to order a, a tr- train load, 80,000 pounds of a certain kind of paper, and I want you to order at state contract price. And I said, okay, what, what agency is it going to? Because I always referred to that on the purchase order. And he said, oh, uh, don't worry about that. We'll get to that later. And I said, well, I, I, not to argue with him. I just said, well, I, I need to know. He said, well, actually, I'm working on another bid that I may need to get this pricing. I just want to secure the, the order, and I'll work out the pricing later. And I, he, he leaves my desk, and I think, that's not right. He's asking me to do something that potentially is illegal, and my name is going to be on the purchase order. So, I mean, the rest of the morning, I'm struggling. God, I understand authority. I want to be under authority. But is this a point that I say, I can't do this? And, and if I say that, I'm going to embarrass my dad. You know, potentially it could cost me my job. I go to lunch and I come back from, uh, while I'm at lunch, I, I come to this conclusion, it doesn't matter. My integrity and my, I think what God would have me to do is in a respectful way to tell him, I can't enter this order, Ralph. You're going to have to enter the order. And if it embarrasses my dad or if it costs me my job, so be it. So I came back with that resolve, the test. The test in my heart was hours of trying to determine, do I do this? Do I not do this? What, what, what are the implications? How, where, how, what, what would be my next job if I lose my job? What, that's all a part of the test. And I come back from lunch and I, I say, okay, I'm going to tell Ralph I can't do this. I, I no more than get seated at, in my, at my desk and Ralph comes by and he says, oh, hey, hey, never mind about that order. I decided I'm going to go another way. And I sit back at my desk and go, it would have been nice, I mean, I didn't say this, but it was, this is what I was, it would have been nice to know this earlier. It would have saved me three hours of, of wrestling with what I'm, what I'm going to do. And just like that, God says, but it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have tested where you are in your development. Oh. So replicate that over and over again in the lives of Myself and my kids, it's like, okay, it's time to test whether or not you're going to trust God. And he creates an, a circumstance that, that there's no way to work this out except for to trust God. Well, we've imparted the principles. We've talked about the concepts. We've modeled it. How are you going to do Just like physical training, conditioning comes with exerting yourself, with testing what, what are the limits? How much can you press today? 
How, how far can you run today? How much wind or endurance do you have today? It comes from conditioning. It comes from instruction. It, it comes from drills and practice. This is why we do what we do. No, you can't do that. Yes, I want you to do this. Watch this over here. It, it's a part of the training process. And then coaching, every great coach is a motivator. They, are, they, they know how to inspire and pull out motivate this this is what we're about this is what we're doing here this is why this, this sacrifice is so important for your life this is what you've got to do so um give you another story in this when, when my daughter lisa when when she was about to turn 16 she'd like most teenagers started lobbying her mom and i for a car wanting to know what kind of car we were going to get her and uh, we said, well, what do you mean? It, there's a sense of entitlement to your voice. Honey, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to provide, because God provides our stuff. And uh, I, I, I really believe that he's going to provide a car for you, but we're going to pray, so pray. So I think she did more identifying than she did praying. You know, Dad, I like that one over there. You know, how about that one over there, Dad? And, and, you know, they were always, you know, how teenagers are. So uh, while we're in this process, it we're uh, a few weeks from her birthday, Jan's mom calls and says that her dad, who is in his 80s, they've decided he can no longer drive, and he has a car, and would we like it f- for Lisa, Lisa's car? Well, Jan and I go, God, thank you for your provision. This is awesome. Well, it was a, a two-tone Pontiac Bonneville. <laughs> At least 10 years old with only an AM radio. So we, we go to Lisa and we say, honey, guess, guess what? The Lord has provided. <laughs> and she goes, what, Dad? What, what do you mean? And I said, we, we got a car. Grandma called. And Grandpa McPhee is no longer driving. Before we even told her what it was, she goes, no, 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 I will not drive Grandpa McPhee's car. I said, wait a minute. So you're telling me that you won't accept God's provision? Well, Dad, Dad, please, no, Dad. So here's what became apparent to us. Lisa was beginning to develop an identity in things more than in God. And so God just orchestrates a provision that puts his finger on the issue of her life. And I said, well, honey, she said, Dad, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want the car. I don't want it. And I said, okay, if that's the way you feel, We'll tell Grandma that we're not going to take Grandpa's car, but you won't have a car. Oh, oh, oh Dad, Dad. I, I said, honey, I, and by this time we were certain. I said, Lisa, let, let me tell you what I think God is doing. I think that you have identified yourself. There's, there's a part of your identity that's too wrapped up. You're telling me you're not going to drive grandpa's car because of the color it is or how old it is or, or what it looks like. You're not going to carry your, your siblings in the car. You're not going you're, you're to go to your friend's house. 
you, we have nice things. We, God provides nice things for us. It's, it's not that. But those nice things can't control us. We control them, honey. Okay. Okay. I'll take Grandpa McPhee's car. But, but I'm not taking anybody in it with me. Okay. So we accept Grandpa McPhee's car and she begins driving. For a whole year, she drives this car. And she starts at the place of, you know, I'm going to wear a hood and just with some eye slits so nobody knows it's me that's driving the car to finally it's like, oh, well, who cares? It's just a car. I mean, it's a car that God provided and it's okay. Everybody want to ride with me? I got the biggest car among all my friends. (laughs) One year it took to get her in this process. And... Coming up on her now 17th birthday, and she says, Dad, do you think, you know, Grandpa McPhee's car is okay, but do you think I could, I could look for another car? And I said, but we had noticed the change in her life. And I said, you know, honey, why don't we pray? And let's just see what God will say. So, they're driving around one day, Lisa and her mom, and they find this car, a little Mitsubishi Eclipse, and uh, red and black, and she comes home, and she's just in love. Dad, Dad, oh, you, Dad, you, you, please, would you go look at this car? So I go look at the car. The guy is selling it. It's not really in good shape. It's overly priced. And, and so I say, honey, I'm, I, I looked at it. I, I just don't think that's the one. She goes, okay. I mean, totally change this girl was related to it's like okay so i'm driving down the street and i i drive by a auto repair shop a, a body shop and there's the exact car sitting outside the shop with a for sale sign on it so i go in and i said hey tell me about this car and he said well i bought it on a reconditioned title i've completely rebuilt it, it it's it's really it, it's tight and uh, i said how much do you want for it it was about $3000 less then this other guy was wanting. I said, you mind if I drive it? He said, no. So I said, can I have it for a few hours? Yeah. So I drove it right down to the Mitsubishi dealership. And I said, would you, would you do a diagnostic on this car and tell me what you think of it? He checked out and said, uh, it's been damaged and fixed, but it, it's been fixed well. There's, I would have no hesitation for you uh, to, to tell you to buy the car. So I went and bought the car. I mean, Jan, Jan saw it. We, we were in a process, but we bought the car. Lisa totally has no idea. So we, we get it detailed. We get it tuned up. We, uh, everything's all squared away. And the day of her birthday, we're going to go out to, to birthday dinner. So Jan and I go pick up the car. Put it in the, and we, we bring it home, put it in the driveway. This is one of the greatest joys I've had as a dad in my life. I, we bring the, the car home, and I, I come into the house, and we were in a two-story house, and I say, Lisa, Lisa, what, Dad? Come down a minute. Oh, Dad, I'm getting ready. Well, just come here just a minute. So she comes down, down the steps, 17th birthday, and I said, well, um, Mom and I got your birthday present, and uh, it's out in the driveway. I want you to have a look. She goes to the front door. I got to demonstrate this. She... She goes to the front door 
And when she sees it, she goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And she busts out the front door and like, this is the car. And she goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And she's running around the car. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I can't believe it, dad, I can't believe it. It was the most awesome experience to see and to reinforce something that God had worked on a year in her life. When she passed the test, God provided something in an absolutely miraculous way. To build a dynasty, it, it takes conditioning. It takes a strategic effort. It takes a process. Here's the third thing. Dynasty reflects vision, purpose, and mission. Um, here's what Proverbs 12, 18 says. There's no one, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We cast vision with the words that we say. We, we determine destiny by the things that we do. So in, these, in this morning's talks to you, I've talked about what we have defined in terms of our purpose. It's our purpose. We exist to, here's the five things that I wrote that day that I referred to in the last time. To influence as many people as we can for God and his kingdom. To live, to, to love my wife and fulfill my marriage vows for a lifetime. To discover, embrace, and fulfill God's will for, for, our, for my life to provide for my family and enjoy the abundance that God liberally supplies, to serve God and people through active involvement in a local congregation of Christian believers. Those are the five things that I've tried to model for my kids and I've tried to hold them into. Everyone has bought into. This is what I talked to you about uh, the last session. Our mission requires resources. If we're going to if we're going to be activated to fulfill our purpose, then we've got resources. That's why God gives us things. That's why there's an inheritance. Let me tell you, my purpose in, in building any kind of wealth, and I'm, I'm not a wealthy person by any means, but whatever God gives to me, I will steward for the purpose of fulfilling the mission that is represented in the dynasty of my family. I... It was already modeled for me. One day, there's, I could give you tens of examples of this. One day, I get a call from Jan's dad. I'm in my office. And he said, well, um, mom and I are doing some planning. And we've decided we want to fund our grandkids' education. I said, what would you say, dad? And I said, well we decided that we were, were doing some planning. And so, now, we had four kids. Jan's one of five girls. There are 13 grandchildren in, in, that my, her parents have. They funded $40,000 for each grandchild for their college education. Why? Because a mission requires resources. Well, you may not have that kind of resource. You may have more resources. Well, is, is the purpose of our resource to have another house or take another big trip? Or, I mean, those are all great things. Enjoy. Have fun. If you can do it, go for it. 
But what if the resource that God gives us is to fund the mission that he's given us? And the mission is multi-generational. And so the things that I have, I'm saying, man, if I have it, if I can do anything for you, if I can provide a value for you, if I can hold you into account for something, if I, can, if I have a resource that will benefit you, if you get yourself in trouble and I can send you to rehab and, and guide you out of it, whatever I have is going to be a resource to fulfill this mission. So the role that we have as parents is to give our kids vision for their life, to help them discover and define their purpose, and to launch them into their mission. It's 12 o'clock, just turned 12 o'clock, and I, I say there are seven barriers that you have to overcome if you're going to build a dynasty. I don't have time to go over those seven, but they're, if you want, you can read them. Uh, they are beneficial, and I'll, I'll just say this. In the outline, I refer to a book. Um, I, I uh, let me see if, if I can find the, well, there's a, I don't know where it is in this outline now. Oh, it's, yeah, my page may be different than yours. It's a book by James Hughes, Jr. He is an, an attorney and a financial planner. It is not a Christian book. It's a secular book. But he set out to ask the question, is it possible to transfer wealth multi-generationally? He was asking dollars. But I read this book and I'm thinking, he's answering questions. Real wealth is not just money. It's relationships, it's intellect, it's intellectual capacity, it, it's, it's financial, it's spiritual. And he's put, laying a grid of how you impart, how you transfer this multi-generationally. So I, I just took the pattern. I said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a dynasty. I'm going to move multi-generationally the things that God has given to me. I'm going to move to my kids and to my grandkids and to my great-grandkids. And, and he's right. He just, he just picked one piece financially. And he said, well, when I'm, when I'm working with the world's wealthiest families, here's seven barriers that I have to overcome. And I looked and thought, you know what? Just with a word or two tweak, those are seven barriers I've got to overcome if I'm going to impart spiritual blessings to my kids or if I'm going to impart intellectual blessing to them. So if you want some homework, Take these seven things, see how you have to work, work over them, and then if you want more, buy the book. It's available on Amazon.com. All right? The na name of the book is Family Wealth. Uh, Family Wealth, subtitled Keeping It in the Family by James Hughes, Jr. It's, it's in your outline, I believe. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. Why don't you stand just a minute? I'm going to pray over you, and then we'll be dismissed. A uh, little, little vulnerable for the speaker here this morning, but in this session, have I challenged you or encouraged you to think about building a dynasty in your family? Just keep your hand up because I want to pray for you. This, whatever I have, to the extent that I have any, uh, any insight in this, I want to give it to you. And I would just love so much if the testimony of our lives would be by family, multi-generationally, we imparted the wealth that God has given to us in a, in a dynasty that moves from generation to generation. Lord, as we raise our hands today, we, we just acknowledge, Lord, we can do nothing 
except by your, your work. But Lord, with you, everything is possible. And so today, I pray, Lord, that we would be godly parents. That, Lord, we would live our life with an eternal perspective that impacts multiple generations. And that, God, as we do things, that we do things in, in such a way that we are reinforcing your work, not only in our life, but in the life of our kids and our grandkids. That, Lord, you would give us eternal eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear the things that you're doing. And that, Lord, as, as we do, when we look back, we will go, wow, what you have done in our life, in our kids' life, in our grandkids' life. And today, Lord, we stand against any lie the enemy would say that it's not possible in our family. It's not possible in our circumstances with our kids because of our background. We, we say, Lord, that's a lie from the enemy and everything is possible in you. You can do greater than what we know or understand. So do your work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.